foreign companies are leaving China. Now Amazon has joined the trend. That's as Apple shifts iPad production from China to Vietnam. Is Shanghai easing lockdowns? Residents in one community enjoyed restricted freedom for just two days before getting ordered back inside. Chinese military planes get dangerously close to a Canadian aircraft on a United Nations mission. Canada says its patrol flight was forced to change course to avoid a collision. The world's largest war exercise is set to begin this month, with 26 countries participating. It's part of efforts to counter Chinese aggression. And millions of Chinese college graduates say they can't find jobs. The country's unemployment rate is getting serious, spurred on by extended lockdowns. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. More and more foreign companies are retreating from China. And U.S. e-shopping giant Amazon joined the trend Thursday. Here's more. Amazon stopped supplying Kindle devices to Chinese e-readers from Thursday. By June 2023, Kindle users in China won't be able to buy new e-books from Amazon, as it will close its Kindle e-bookstore there. The Kindle app will also be removed from Chinese app stores in 2024. By 2017, China had become Kindle's largest market, but the company was facing strong competition from domestic rivals like Huawei and Xiaomi. That competition left Kindle losing market shares. China has a massive customer base of digital book readers, both for listening to and reading books. The market totaled 500 million people and brought in $6 billion worth of revenue in 2021. Amazon said the decision has nothing to do with the regime's pressure or censorship. It stated the company was adjusting its operating focus and noted its other businesses remain in China. These include cross-border e-commerce, advertising and cloud services. Amazon worked for over a decade to win Beijing's support to expand its business in China, though it closed its China online store in 2019. More and more foreign companies have started moving or considering moving out of Chinese market largely because of harsh local lockdowns and economic pain under the pandemic. Of those leaving, Microsoft's LinkedIn, Yahoo, and Airbnb near the top. Airbnb says it will close its business in China by July. Apple is also scaling back business in China on the manufacturing side. Reports say it's shifting iPad production out of China to Vietnam. Initial volumes are expected to be small, but the move reveals the vulnerabilities in China's tech supply chain. More than 90 percent of Apple products are made in China. Lockdowns across Chinese cities intended to cut off the spread of the Chinese Communist Party or CCP virus, the infection that causes COVID-19. But weeks-long factory shutdowns hit supply chains hard. Other Western tech companies have also recently cut services in or retreated from China. Microsoft's LinkedIn, Yahoo and Airbnb are a few of them. News about Shanghai lifting its lockdown has spread around the world. But residents in the city say they're far from a full return to normal life. Let's take a look. Reopened for just two days, a residential compound in Shanghai is already facing another blockade. The neighborhood committee issued a notice explaining how someone in the community tested positive for COVID-19. The residents were required to get tested twice on both June 2nd and 3rd. Though continuous mass testing is far from the only thing locals are coping with, 
Many people say they're suffering amid food shortages caused by the sudden community closures, adding that the order left them unprepared and didn't give them notice to stock up on essentials. According to the notice, all the shops nearby the community were ordered to close. Outside of the compound, the rest of Shanghai's citizens are living under varying levels of restrictions. The restaurants there are still closed for dine-in service and only offer takeout. Entertainment venues remain shuttered and some subway lines are out of service. The intermittent shutdowns in the city appear to have no end in sight. And after June 30th, residents will be expected to cover the cost of getting virus tested regularly, a sizable financial obligation for many. That's on top of dealing with long wait lines at testing locations. A resident in Shanghai is reporting a possible virus cover-up. He told us on Thursday that positive COVID-19 cases had been detected in recent days, both in his neighborhood and two other nearby neighborhoods. All three of those communities were soon put back under lockdown. But interestingly, local authorities' daily reports on the pandemic did not appear to mention the confirmed infections. Here's what he had to say. My community said two days ago that there were two positive cases here. Then I checked the pandemic release put out by Shanghai authorities, but there was no mention of our community. In the past days, the nearby community in the North Gate area has been closed again. The same thing as before happened. This was not included in the pandemic release shared by Shanghai authorities. Then there is another community on our right side, which was released from lockdown yesterday, but closed again today. Then I checked the official pandemic release. There is still nothing. This isn't the first time residents have drawn attention to potential cover-ups. In the past two years, residents from across China have told us similar stories, where they say Chinese authorities covered up or underreported positive cases and even deaths. Nominees for a federal investment board are citing against Chinese investment. President Biden's picks to serve on the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board have agreed no investment in Chinese firms. That's according to a June 2nd announcement from Senator Marco Rubio. The four nominees also confirmed their belief in writing that Americans should not invest in any country that threatens U.S. national security. If confirmed by the Senate, the nominees will join the five-member board. Rubio previously put a hold on the nominations, but said that he has now removed that hold. Since 1984, billions of dollars have been invested in a thrift savings plan by federal workers. The thrift invests in Chinese stocks through a stock market index. The index includes various companies from different countries, and about 8% of those companies are from China. The fund administers $735 billion of retirement funding for over 6 million federal employees and service members. Last month, five Republican senators raised concerns about a proposed mutual fund that would include multiple Chinese firms or firms based in other countries that threaten U.S. national security. Texas company AnyPlaceMD is suing a China-based seller of COVID test kits. The U.S. company ordered antibody test kits manufactured in China, the only place they were available at the start of the pandemic in 2020. The kits arrived after months of delays but were never used. Initial testing by the company found the kits produced test results that were inaccurate. A spokesperson said the kits were hard to read and showed false positive results. The U.S. company is now suing the kits' China-based seller in hopes of recovering the losses. 
The company said they paid roughly $500,000 for 100,000 kits, with about another $120,000 still owed. Chinese jets have endangered a Canadian military plane operating in Asia. That's what Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie said Thursday. The day before, the Canadian Armed Forces announced that the air crews in several Chinese aircraft were very clearly visible as they approached Canada's patrol plane in what Canada called an attempt to divert its own air patrol flight path. The armed forces went on to say the Canadian aircrew had to quickly modify its own flight path in order to avoid a collision. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau called China's behavior extremely troubling. He said that the Canadian government would raise this issue with Chinese officials. Canada says similar incidents have happened several times while the Canadian aircraft was deployed to Asia. That deployment was part of the effort to support the United Nations in sanctions on North Korea. The Canadian flights were tasked with observing any attempts from North Korea to avoid sanctions, like the transfer of banned commodities from ship to ship. Similar moves from the Chinese side have been reported several times in recent years. In 2017, Chinese flights confronted a U.S. aircraft, getting as close as 150 feet. In 2019, Chinese fighters flew over a Canadian warship, getting within just a thousand feet. The U.S. announced its 28th rim of the Pacific Exercises, or RIMPAC, on Tuesday. Held every other year, the 2022 RIMPAC event represents the world's largest war exercises. It's slated to begin at the end of June and last until early August. This year's version will include all four Quad nations, the U.S., Australia, India and Japan, plus five South China Sea countries. In total, the Honolulu and San Diego-based exercises will see militaries from 26 countries. The U.S. military said in a Tuesday statement that the countries will employ almost 40 surface ships, four submarines and 170 aircraft. Around 25,000 personnel will participate. The U.S. and other nations insist on a free and open Indo-Pacific. At the same time, China is expanding its reach in the region, including militarizing islands in the contested South China Sea. Three nations with competing maritime territory claims to China, the Philippines, Malaysia and Brunei, are among those taking part in RIMPAC 2022. According to the U.S. Navy, the exercises will include various drills, as well as counter-piracy operations, mine clearance operations, explosive ordnance disposal, and diving and salvage operations. The U.S. Navy announcement says the exercises help to deter and defeat aggression by major powers across all domains and levels of conflict. The first RIMPAC exercise was held in 1971. This graduation season in China, millions of fresh graduates can't find a job. Many Chinese graduates are expected to decide to either join the workforce or continue their academic pursuits before the last day of school in June. Data from a Chinese job search website shows that as of May, the employment rates of graduates only reached 23 percent for men and just 10 percent for women. According to an official Chinese report, job competition for middle school English teachers or even school registration staff members is so high, one position can receive as many as three to four hundred applications. Even for positions with low starting salaries, job hunting hardships appear to have no end in sight. A survey shows that this year's college graduates will see an average monthly income of less than $950.
And this isn't even the worst news for the new graduates. Many students and their families have complained about how schools use their new diplomas to threaten them, forcing them to sign false contracts with random companies. That pressure comes from top Chinese authorities. Premier Li Keqiang recently stated that the country's nationwide unemployment rate should be kept under 5.5% year-round. But as of March, that figure exceeded 5.8%. And that's not all. Research from one Chinese university showed that the unemployment rate broke 15% in 2020. Why the large difference between the two? It has to do with China's rural population. Totaling 36.11% of the country's total, work status for China's entire rural population was excluded from official statistics. It's commonly believed the unemployment rate in China's rural areas is far higher than in cities. On top of that, pandemic restrictions have made that situation even worse, with many migrant workers having lost their jobs. The problem has started gaining traction on Chinese social media. One parent's post sparked buzz online. He wrote about how his son is graduating this year, but 90% of his classmates haven't been able to find jobs. Despite that, the school advertises its graduates' employment rates. The post goes on to explain, the school forced the students to sign a triple-sided contract between the school, the company, and the student, adding that the students won't be given their diploma if they reject it. China's zero-COVID-19 policy could tie into the problem as well. The strategy has dealt heavy blows to China's economy, including to retail businesses, manufacturing, and other enterprises. Shanghai is finally easing its lockdown after two months, but many other cities are still grappling with restrictions to varying degrees. That includes the capital, Beijing, and global manufacturing hub, Shenzhen. Britain, the U.S. and other countries called for an agency of the United Nations to set up a mission to probe alleged labor abuses in China's Xinjiang and urged Beijing to allow unfettered access. A community of the International Labor Organization, or ILO, is set to make a decision next week on whether to accept the mission request. It could shine a light on allegations that Uyghurs have been unlawfully detained, mistreated and forced to work. Britain's envoy asked for the trip to be conducted before the next major ILO conference in 2023. Australia, Canada and the European Union also voiced support. Thursday's meeting comes just days after the end of a trip by UN High Commissioner Michelle Bachelet to Xinjiang. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said in March that China continues to commit genocide and crimes against humanity against mostly Muslim Uyghurs in Xinjiang. Coming up, a possible nuclear threat from North Korea. Is the country getting ready for its first nuclear test since 2017? The risk is putting the U.S. and its allies on high alert. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Moves from North Korea are putting Washington and its allies on high alert. A U.S. envoy met with his counterparts to discuss shoring up defense against the country's nuclear testing. Here's more. Rising tensions in the Korean Peninsula. The U.S. says North Korea seems to be pushing ahead with its seventh nuclear test. And a U.S. envoy has met with Japanese and South Korean counterparts on bolstering defense. The U.S. envoy says Washington is ready to make adjustments to America's military posture as appropriate. And we want to make clear that the PRK 
to the DPRK that its unlawful and destabilizing activities have consequences and that the international community will not accept these actions as normal. And the only, vi the only viable path forward for DPRK is through diplomatic negotiations. DPRK is the official name of North Korea, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. The U.S. went on alert last month when President Biden made his first Asia trip since taking office. Both the U.S. and South Korea said North Korea seems to be getting ready for its first nuclear test since 2017. After meeting South Korea's new president, Biden said the U.S. would start talking about expanding joint military exercises with South Korea. And today our cooperation is essential. He added if South Korea entered into a crisis with the North, the U.S. would deploy nuclear-capable strategic bombers. Six months into 2022, North Korea has already held over a dozen missile tests. That includes testing its largest ballistic missile that can fly across continents and has the ability to reach the mainland U.S. Washington called on the United Nations to slap more sanctions on North Korea over the missile tests. But China and Russia vetoed the suggestion. Some people in Taiwan are learning how to fire guns for the first time in their lives. That's as they face growing anxiety over a possible Chinese invasion fueled by the Ukraine war. Let's take a closer look at how they are learning to defend the island if it were to come under siege. Taiwanese who have never held a gun before are taking shooting lessons for the first time as Russia's invasion of Ukraine ramps up anxiety. Their fear is that giant neighbor China could make a similar move on the democratic island. Taiwan tightly controls gun ownership, and the use of these airsoft guns, which are similar to BB guns, is taught for competitions. China's growing military pressure on the island it claims as its own, combined with the conflict in Ukraine, has spurred debate about how to boost defenses in Taiwan, including whether to extend compulsory military service. Max Chang is CEO of Polar Light, a combat skills training company. Um, at the moment, the number of people participating in this kind of activity in Taiwan is currently increasing. This has been already a trend in the past two years. Since Chinese fighter jets started flying close to Taiwan, there has been an increase. After the Ukraine war started, the numbers have tripled or quadrupled. More and more people are coming to take part. Some in Taiwan fear that China, which has never ruled out using force to bring the island under its control, may take advantage of a West distracted by the Ukraine conflict. Tattoo artist Su Chun was determined to learn how to use the air guns. In case of war, the country will notify reservists to gather in a certain location and then hand out guns and other equipment. Because most likely, there will be teams made up of many people. I think there will certainly be all kinds of people. Those who are prepared, people who aren't prepared, and also those who are panicking. I think all those types of people will be there. I am sure that most people don't want to go to war. I also don't want to go to war. But in the unfortunate event of this really happening, I will be mentally prepared. Taiwan has raised its alert level but has reported no unusual military movements by Beijing. But some politicians in Taiwan have urged the public to start thinking about survival plans. The U.S. and Taiwan have agreed to a new trade initiative. 
That's after the island was excluded from Biden's new Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. The agreement is formally called the U.S.-Taiwan Initiative on 21st Century Trade. It was announced following a Wednesday virtual meeting between Deputy U.S. Trade Representative Sarah Banshi and her Taiwan counterpart, Zhang Den. Deng caused the initiative a, quote, historic breakthrough in Taiwan-U.S. economic and trade development. He noted that the initiative will help Taiwan build economic ties with other governments around the world. He also scheduled a face-to-face meeting with U.S. trade officials near the end of this month. Taiwan's foreign minister, Joseph Wu, said the initiative is of high strategic importance. He noted it will assist the island in joining the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, an 11-nation free trade agreement. We will also point out that Taiwan's semiconductor and other high-tech industries make the island a reliable partner to the United States and other countries. Senior U.S. administration officials say the initiative showcases U.S.'s commitment to the region, to people at home and in the Indo-Pacific. According to officials, the two sides will discuss a number of areas at the meeting later this month. That's including trade, regulatory practices, agriculture, anti-corruption efforts, labor rights, and non-market practices and policies. The U.S. cut its diplomatic ties with Taiwan in the 1970s, paving the way to setting up relations with the Chinese communist regime. But the U.S. and Taiwan sides have maintained cooperation in many areas, including militarily. China's third aircraft carrier appears to be nearing completion. That's according to analysis of satellite images taken by Planet Lab's PBC on Tuesday. Experts suggested the newly built vessel could launch soon. Cloud cover blocked Planet Lab satellites from capturing images of the shipyard on both Wednesday and Thursday. The newly developed Type 003 will be the country's most advanced and sophisticated aircraft carrier. It's been under construction at the Jiangnan shipyard northeast of Shanghai since 2018. The launch is a long-anticipated one. The think tank the Center for Strategic and International Studies called the occasion a seminal moment in China's ongoing modernization efforts and a symbol of the country's growing military might. Next, we'd like to turn to a question from our viewers, asking what do we know about Chinese naval submarine activities off the coasts of the U.S. and Australia? Do we know if China positions nuclear weapons on submarines off these coasts? We spoke with retired Captain Jim Fennell to find out more. To begin with, the U.S. does retain the ability to monitor, detect and track China's Navy. Anything more than that enters the realm of classified information. Next, let's look at what types of submarines China has. There's two main types, ballistic missile submarine and fast attack. Now to see how these types would be used, it's first important to take a look at history. During the Cold War, the U.S. and Soviets faced off at sea, just out of reach of each other. That's because under the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, the sea's 12 nautical miles outside of territorial waters are considered open to all ships and submarines. At the same time, the U.S. and Soviets used the rule for war games, sending their ships and subs to areas just outside what would be considered each other's territories. Fennell says if China's Navy were to operate around the waters of continental U.S., but outside of those 12 nautical miles, it would be perfectly legal under the U.N. law. Turning back to China's two main types of submarines, the ballistic missile submarines that China currently has have a shorter range. 
meaning if China wants to cover all of the continental U.S., they need to be positioned closer. That means one would expect to find those submarines in the waters east of the first and second island chain, meaning around Guam and up towards Hawaii. The fast attack subs that China has are used for long-range reconnaissance, meaning patrolling deep in enemy territory. Fennell says those could be off the west coast of the U.S. And as for the U.S., Fennell says we're watching closely. Sometimes just knowing what the enemy is up to gives one an edge. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.